Well, I'm always glad you're here, but today especially, we have a special treat for you. Uh, Many of you know that we have been this year undertaking a year-long process that we're calling the Journey to Discipleship. We've invited many of you to join us on the 365 Challenge. Many of you picked up the little uh, field guide that we put together, Journey to Discipleship, had been answering those questions and just trying to focus on your relationship with God. Uh, We are kicking off today a special conference, really zeroing in and focusing on this journey towards discipleship. And so this morning is session one. This afternoon at four will be session two. And Wednesday night during our midweek service, that is at 630, uh, will be session three. And I hope you'll be a part of all three of those. Come back this afternoon and Wednesday night as well. We have a special guest that I've invited to come, uh, Dr. Mark Searby. Uh, Dr. Searby has uh, served as pastors and churches, uh, primarily in Illinois. He's also served on the faculty of several uh, schools, the, the most recent of which is Beeson Divinity School, so near and dear to my heart. Uh, Many of you know I graduated from there a couple years back and uh, am so honored to have been brought into that program really under Dr. Searby's leadership. He was the head of the doctoral ministry program at Beeson uh, when I was there, and I think I did him in because he retired as soon as I finished or shortly thereafter, so it must have been, that's it, can't take any more of these guys. Uh, But he has retired from that. He and his wife Linda are with us this morning. They have uh, moved. uh, I guess when you retire, you're forced, you're required by law to move to Florida, and so they have followed that and have moved to Gainesville, and, uh, and we're delighted to ask Dr. Searby to have Dr. Searby with us today and to lead us in this conference. Uh, he is, as you're going to hear, has a real heart uh, for the Lord, but also a real heart for uh, the church, and so I know that I was blessed uh, to be under his leadership at Beeson, and am so honored to welcome him. Uh, Linda, if you would also stand, Mark and Linda, stand so we can give you a nice south side welcome. Mark. Thank you for coming. Sure. Thank you, Gary. Well, the Lord gave me the privilege to serve for 10 years as director of the doctoral program at Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham. And during that time, Gary, I've never, I've never shared this before publicly, but I kind of had a top 10 list of our graduates. Sorry, Gary. Uh, (laughs) Had a top 10 list. Dr. Gary Weber made the top three list. You have, in my estimation, one of the finest Christian men as your pastor. A man who has great integrity. He is, has academic integrity and is gifted that way. His, his project in our doctor of ministry program is one of the finest that we've had. And I'm not just saying that. Uh, his committee uh, that reviewed and judged his project and his dissertation would say the same thing. So, Gary, you are a blessing to me. You have been and continue to be. And thank you for inviting me to share with your folks at Southside. We're going to do a three-part series uh, on a deeper journey, our journey to intimacy with God. Starts this morning as we look at the call to the journey. We're going to continue this evening as we look at grace for the journey. And then on Wednesday evening as we look at power for this journey that we're on. It's a journey to intimacy with God. And I use that phrase, intimacy with God, 
because I believe that our relationship with God is to be an intimate relationship. It is not a transaction. It's not some kind of checklist that we have that I prayed here and I read my Bible here, but it truly is to be an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard for me to believe, but it's now been 40 years ago that Richard Foster came out with his book, Celebration of Discipline. And we're going to have a quote here for you uh, out of Richard Foster's book that I think is as relevant today as it was 40 years ago. Richard Foster, in Celebration of Discipline, wrote this, this statement. He said that superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. And the desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. I have kept that quote before me ever since I came across it 40 years ago when Richard Foster came out with his book. The need is not for more intelligent people, more gifted people, but for more deep people. Now, you don't need to answer this out loud, but are you ready for a deeper journey in your walk with Jesus? Are you ready to really become intimate in your relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, as we look at the topic of spiritual formation, spiritual formation is about having a deeper journey. It is growing deep. Spiritual formation, and let's go ahead and put that definition up there. The spiritual formation is a spirit-directed process of becoming being more conformed to the image of Christ in a holistic manner. That's, that's not just soul, but it's mind and it's body. It's our whole person. But it's also for the sake of others. So this journey that we're on, and that I'm going to share with you about these three sessions, is about being conformed. Notice the tense being conformed, the Spirit doing His work within us to become more like the Jesus that we sang about. Bless you, that choir number was fantastic. What a message. Being conformed to the image of Jesus, to the image of Christ, but it's our whole body, soul, and spirit. But notice, it's not just for me, it is for others as well. So that's kind of the theme, and that's kind of where we're headed. But we're going to start this morning by looking at the call to the journey. And I've chosen, uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. This might seem to some of you kind of an interesting text to pick for the call to a deeper journey, that deeper walk in spiritual formation. But I think it's a very appropriate one as we look at this passage together and as I seek to unpack this passage for us this morning as the call to the journey. So let me begin. I'm reading from the ESV translation, starting at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. 
Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keeping love, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the very oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these words from the Apostle Peter. Words that were written to Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor so many centuries ago and yet speak so relevantly to us today. Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would you give us ears to hear your word, this challenge from the Apostle Peter? This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The end of all things is near. What a stark way for Peter to begin this particular part of his letter to these Christians that he is referred to as exiles and strangers. The end of all things is near. It is at hand. But I don't believe that Peter was seeking to bring to their lives a sense of fear and passivity, but instead he was seeking to bring focus and action. Because sometimes when we hear that the end's near, we want to bunker down, we want to put up the walls and become passive. But Peter, I believe, is sharing this for us to focus and to become active. Now, when I hear this phrase, the end is near, I think of an account that happened back in Illinois. I can't believe it's been 20 years ago now. It happened up in Chicago. And by the way, if you've never been to Illinois, yes, there is more to that state than Chicago. Okay? Right? There's more. There's downstate as well, which is where I grew up in southern Illinois, ministered most of my pastorates were in central Illinois, But this did happen in Chicago in 1996. Some of you may recall this. A gentleman by the name of Joseph Bernadine was the cardinal of the diocese of Chicago. Bernadine had won his battle with cancer. He had been declared free of cancer for quite some time. And then, all of a sudden, he was diagnosed once again. This time, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Now, those of you who are familiar with pancreatic cancer know that is a death sentence. My, one of my older brothers was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died 10 days later. Bernadine had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and he was holding a press conference there in Chicago And I remember that press conference was full of people. Newsweek, New York Times, I mean, all of the major news people were there for that press conference for Bernadine. 
And I don't really remember much about the press conference. I don't remember a lot of the questions that they were asking, but I do remember, and this was the end of August, 1996, and one of the news people asked Bernadine, well, Cardinal Bernadine, why, why aren't you involved? And he named this kind of activity that was going to take place in Chicago. He said, why aren't you involved in this? Why aren't you speaking out about this? I don't remember the exact question, but I'll never forget Bernadine's response. He looked at that reporter, and he made this statement. A dying man does not have time for the peripheral or the accidental. A dying man does not have time for the peripheral or the accidental. Bernadine was gone two and a half months later. Isn't it amazing how when we hear something about the end is near, the end is at hand, how we get real focused. In a congregation this size, there are several people sitting here this morning who have heard the news about a family member. She only has three months to live. Or he will be, not be with us much longer. You remember how focused you got when you had, got that news? There are many of you here who've had different moves in your lives. Linda and I just moved eight months ago from Alabama to Gainesville. We got real focused in our friendships those few weeks before we knew we were moving. We wanted to spend as much time with our dear brothers and sisters as we possibly could. We got focused I believe that's what Peter is calling us to in this passage today. He says to these believers, and he says to us, the end is near. Get focused in your life. This journey that you're on with Jesus, let it become deeper and more intimate with him because you are going to be facing challenges of all kinds. Become focused. And so I believe this call to the deeper journey is a call to become focused Christians. And that's what I want to share with you out of this text this morning. As we look back at the text in verse 7, Peter makes that announcement about the end of all things is at hand, and then he says, self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Here's the first thing I first challenge in that call that Peter is giving us that I believe, and that is this. In verse 7, a focused Christian will be devoted to prayer. A focused Christian is devoted to prayer. Notice what he says there. To be clear-minded, or different translations say it differently, Clear-minded, some translations, ESV says self-control. One writer, one commentator translates it this way, be disciplined in your mind. Be disciplined in your mind. How many distractions do we have in our culture today for our minds to become totally undisciplined? We are distracted 
by so many things, so many electronics, so many things in the news organizations, so many sound bites that are 10, 15, 20 second sound bites that keep us from having disciplined minds. Is it any wonder that the surveys that have been done in the last few years say that it is difficult for many Christians, these are surveying Christians, it seems to be difficult for many of them to focus any longer than five to ten minutes on their prayers. That's amazing to me. That's shocking to me. We are so undisciplined in our minds. And one of the spiritual disciplines that we'll be looking at very closely, uh, particularly Wednesday night, is the discipline of solitude and silence. And how difficult it is for us to be disciplined in our minds. He also says that we are to be sober-minded. The word there that he uses is actually the word that means don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. Now, I don't know. I've not been around too many drunk people lately. Don't tend to be in those kind of crowds. But the last time I was around somebody who was intoxicated, they were anything but disciplined in their mind and in their actions. (laughs) They were kind of out of control. Peter says, discipline your minds. Discipline your attitudes. Discipline your activities. But notice, it's not just to say, hear how disciplined I am. The purpose there is for the sake of your prayers. The call is to become focused, to become disciplined, so that you can, for the sake of your prayers, which prayer is intimacy with God. Prayer is not just going through our prayer list, though I think that's helpful, but it is developing that intimate relationship with God. So we have self-discipline, we're focused so that we can have that deeper relationship with him. Now, we're going to say more about prayer other times, so I'm going to stop there. The first thing Peter says is a focused Christian is devoted to prayer. Secondly, look at verses 8 and 9. In verses 8 and 9... We see that Peter says, a focused Christian loves actively. A focused Christian loves actively. Verses 8 and 9. Above all, keep loving each other earnestly. Above all, top priority, love each other. What is the distingu- to be the distinguishing mark of believers? What did Jesus say? That you can quote scripture? Did he say so that you know all the doctrine? What did Jesus say in the gospels? By this all people will know you are my disciples, how you love one another. Above all, love each other actively. Do you see how spiritual formation goes deeper than just in us? It is out there as well. It's vertical, and it's also horizontal. Love each other. He uses a word there, actively. It's a word from athletics. The word from athletics is, it means, earnestly means, with all the energy that you have. 
Now, I know that when you look at me this morning, you're going to say, this next story's a lie, but back in high school, I did run the half mile, okay? I was a half miler. Anybody here a half miler or an 800 meter runner in sports? Great. It's the toughest race there is, isn't it? <laughs> I think so. Half mile was two laps around the track. My strategy was to start out about fourth or fifth. And I would go around, we'd go around the first lap, and I'd stay in fourth or fifth. We'd start around the second lap. And about a third of the way around, I'd start trying to move up to get right behind the lead runner. And so my strategy was then in the last straightaway with, a, with about 100 plus yards to go was to kick it in and try to pass that first runner so that I could win the race. So when I get to that point, I'm giving it everything I've got, every ounce of energy within me is to going to meet that, to get to that finish line first. Every muscle is straining to reach the finish line. Well, guess what? That's Peter's word. It's from athletics. Love each other with all that you have, actively, earnestly. And so my question is, as we go deeper, are we willing to love each other that way? Are we willing to be conformed to the image of Christ so that we love that way? Now, as we look at the text, he goes on to say, since love covers a multitude of sins. Do not misinterpret that phrase, love covers over a multitude of sins. It doesn't say love ignores sinful behavior, does it? It doesn't say that. It says that we, even in the recognition of sin against one another, love covers over a multitude of sins. I won't hold it against you. I want you to not hold it against me. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Doesn't ignore it. Doesn't pretend it's not there. Doesn't mean that we don't call out sin when we're in accountability relationships. But love covers a multitude of sins. And then part of loving actively is also showing hospitality. This really hit home to the believers in the first century because they needed that hospitality. Many of them didn't have anything. The hospitality meant they got a good meal. For some case, in some cases, they got a place to stay. They took this very seriously. Show hospitality without grumbling. That's a part of spiritual formation. That's part of loving actively is to show that hospitality. I believe, first of all, within the body of Christ, but also outside the body of Christ. Because as we love one another actively, as love covers a multitude of sins, that becomes the apologetic to the world about who God is and who Jesus is. When there is a lack of love in the body of Christ, I'm speaking any local body of Christ, when there's a lack of love, we lose the power of our message.
Gary's absolutely right when you were saying the tragedy that hit South Florida. 17 families today who have been so impacted by this event. We as the Church of Jesus Christ must give a witness of love and compassion and hospitality. And when we do that, not only is there spiritual transformation in us personally, in our body of believers, but in the world. And the world will know that we are Christians by our love. Now, I happen to think this also can have an impact on our witness very much outside, not just inside the body of Christ, but outside the body of Christ. Now, this next thing I want, the story I want to tell you that happened back in Illinois, some of you are going to identify with this, some of you can't, because some of you have never been in Illinois in January. Pretty bad, isn't it, Tina? Pretty bad. I was uh, preaching, I was teaching at Lincoln Seminary, and I was filling in for a church on the east side of central Illinois. It was on a January morning, Sunday morning. Snow was blowing as I was driving to this church. There was already four or five inches of snow on the ground. It was, let's just say it was 10 degrees or less. Wind was blowing. I pull up to the church in the church parking lot, and I'd left more time than I needed because I thought the roads were going to be in bad shape. I I got there quite early before the service. So I'm the only car in the parking lot. So I decide rather than sitting out in the car, I'm going to go into the church building. So I walk up to the front doors, and at the front doors were were like this, and there was a brick wall so that it formed an angle like this. So I walk up to those doors with the brick wall to my left. And as I go up to grab a hold of the door handle, I look in the corner and there's a little bird huddled there in the corner, as close to the corner as he could get, trying to protect himself from the wind and the blowing snow. And so I walk up to the door and grab hold of the handle and the door's locked. So I look over at that little bird and I walk over a little closer to him. He doesn't move. I take another step over to him. He doesn't move. I reach out my foot and I touch him. And at that point, I realized he was dead. He was frozen. Now, I'm going to give you an analogy. Don't take it too far. But the thought that hit me that morning was this. In how many churches across America are the doors of our li- are the doors of our lives closed to hurting struggling people who are trying the best they can to be protected in life and we've got the door locked and they can't see any hospitality And they're dying. They're dying. Again, don't take that. I'm not suggesting every door ought to be locked 24-7 in the church building. Or shouldn't be locked. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the analogy struck me of how many of us close the doors of our hearts 
to go deeper in the journey, to be spiritually formed, to be conformed to the image of Christ, means that not only do I love God, I love people in the body, outside the body, and I want to be a witness for him. A focused Christian will love actively. Don't you think those 17 families wish they could just hold their loved one one more time and say, honey, I love you. I love you. We've got to get focused. We've got to get focused. Now, the last thing that I challenge and I think Peter gives us is found in verses 10 and 11. And that is that a focused Christian serves faithfully. A focused Christian will serve faithfully. Look here at what Peter says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There are three principles there about being gifted as believers. One is that all of us have been gifted Secondly, that we all are to use those gifts in service to others. And thirdly, it is a matter of being a steward. Stewardship is not just about what we put in the offering plate. It is about the use of our gifts. And when we are focused, when we go deeper in the journey, not only are we deeper in our relationship with God, Are we deeper and more focused in loving others, but we also are deeper and more focused in serving through the using of our gifts? That's part of what Peter says. And notice here, or let me point out to you here, he says, in God's varied grace, the word translated varied is the word meaning multicolored, meaning variegated, It is used one other time in 1 Peter. You'll find it in chapter 1 and verse 6. And there Peter talks about the variegated, the multiple kinds of trials that we face. Then he comes to chapter 4 and he says, there is variegated, multicolored grace that we have to serve each other. And you know the way I kind of look at this? God has graced, has gifted his body. Look at these fingers, those kinds of graces. We have these kinds of trials that are also variegated. And guess what? The grace fits the trial. But what if you are not using your gifts? What if you're not using the grace God has gifted you with? Then I can't hardly do it here. But let's say, here are the trials, here's the grace, but there's one missing. When we get focused and when we go deeper, God uses us in mighty ways to serve the body of Christ. We need a deeper journey. Now, Peter closes out with a doxology. We are to serve with the strength that God supplies. And then notice here the doxology. In order that in everything, 
God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you see where it comes back? As we go deeper with him, as we are more intimate with him, it comes back and the glory goes to him. And it's worship. From surrender and prayer and solitude and service and love, and it goes back, there's the glory. There's the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Let us praise the Father by going deeper. Let me close this morning by paraphrasing Cardinal Bernadine. Folks, in the world in which we live, in the world in which we live with all of the struggles and the temptations and all of the evil around us as we've seen witness this week in the world in which we live this dying world does not have time for the church to focus on the accidental and the peripheral Father I thank you for the Apostle Peter, for his challenge to us to become focused believers, to go deeper in our journey with Jesus. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Southside that you will help each of us, help all of us in our journey to become focused because the end is near. Lord, forgive us when we fail you. Empower us with your spirit. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.